Hello and welcome to The Work Zone. I'm your host, Riley. And I'm Kelsey. And this is the Northwest Construction Podcast. The Work Zone Podcast. We lead the charge on site. There's great career opportunities in construction, whether you're in the field or in the office. I am pumped. <laughs> <laughs> Kelsey, how excited are you to be here right I now? I am pumped. Thank you for asking, Riley. Yeah. What about you? I, I'm so excited. This has been, what, six months in the works? A long time coming. I mean, we haven't been actively working on it for six months, but it's been a plan for six months. So yeah. to be doing it now is very exciting. Yeah. And, and the hype's been real. You know, we've been getting the word out to uh, our future listeners and everyone seems really excited to have it. So there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. On no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, come on. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. First episode. So the goal of this podcast is to talk about industry professionals, you know, not only within Northwest construction, but construction all around. And what are some trends, some topics, and meet some interesting people. Yeah, and just get to know our team. Yeah, absolutely. So throughout the episodes, you'll get some some featured guests, some subject matter experts. And we'll talk a little bit about safety and quality and culture and where do we see ourselves as a company, where are we going, and, and where do we see the industry going. Absolutely. And each episode, we'll ask our guest why they work safe. So I'm going to put Riley on the spot. Riley, why do you work safe? Oh, that's a, that's my favorite question. So uh, I work safe because I love going home to see my family. I have a fiance. I have two dogs and a cat. Uh, we live on Whidbey Island, beautiful Whidbey Island. If, if anyone's ever been there, I highly recommend visiting. Uh, outside of that, I love to fish. I love to hunt. And I love a cold beer on the weekends. Nothing beats it. Yeah. How about you? Why do you work safe, Kelsey? Well, my loved ones, my friends and family, of course. I also love to travel. I love to play tennis. There's so many things I love to do, and that's why I work safe, just to be able to continue to spend time with the people I love and do the things I love outside of work. So Awesome. And for everyone else on the team, too. That's great. Yeah. So why don't you give our listeners a little background about you, and, and how did you end up at Northwest Construction? Yeah, I am a marketing manager here and I started here June of 2021. So when I'm recording this now, it's been coming up on a year. Yeah. Um, I worked at T-Mobile before, so I was completely new to the construction industry, but I've done marketing before. So I was confident, I mean, I was coming in with knowledge about that, really excited to learn about the construction industry. My dad actually worked here way back when, eons ago. (laughs) So that's, how I knew it was a really great company. He loved it and talked so highly of it. So I um, met with Cameron and when I talked to him, I just felt really confident and wanting to be a part of the team. So that's how I got here. A little bit about me. What about you, Riley? Well, uh, uh, something we have in common is is Cameron uh, was my first uh, experience with Northwest and the one that brought me into. Uh, But I'm born and raised around here, uh, greater Seattle area. And uh, didn't know anything about construction, uh, didn't know anything about uh, the industry until I got into college and met some important people in the industry and got to see what was going on and uh, decided that was the career path for me. Uh, I ended up uh, in college working for Northwest on the I-5 braided ramps for Paul and Cameron and then ended up on uh, SR9 for a summer working for Kevin. 
And then I went to a big firm, one of the top tens, and I traveled around the country and worked on some bridges and some dams. I worked at Boeing for a bit, did some estimating, and decided the the life on the road, I was, I was over it. I was living out of a trailer, and I was ready to settle down and, and put some roots in the ground. So the first call I made was to Cameron here, and, and it's been history ever since. So I've been here about uh, three, almost coming up on three years now. It's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's our stories, and um, we're looking forward to learning other people's stories on this podcast. Absolutely, yeah. and what better person to start with than our safety director, Joe Davidson? Joe will be our first guest, and we'll just get right into it. Joe, welcome to the first episode of our podcast. Woohoo! Yeah, excited. Yeah. And, and, you know, the goal is that you're a regular on here because your boots on the ground in the field. I think you see every job every week, right? Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's my goal anyway. You know, it's uh, depends on how far we're spread out for the week and while we got going, but my goal is to get my boots on the ground and if not talk to everybody, at least give them a wave and check in and see how things are going. Awesome. Do you think you know everyone's name? uh, Not anymore. What percentage? Probably close to 70%. Honestly, there's the way we've grown. I, I used to pride myself in knowing everybody's name and you know what they're all about. And unfortunately, you know, it just it takes some a couple of times for me to really get to know somebody's name. And yeah. just as big as we've grown recently. Yeah. And how long have you been with Northwest? I've been with Northwest uh, almost 12 years, I believe now. Wow. I, I did have a a break in between. Yeah. Uh, my tour duties here. Excellent. And share with our listeners, uh, why do you work safe, Joe? What uh, inspires you to work safe every day? Man, that's a that's an awesome question, and I think that's a, a very powerful question that everybody needs to ask themselves. And you know, even though I'm the, the safety person, I'm expected to be safe. But it's uh, you know what I discuss in the new employee orientation video, and <clears throat> what I bring up at safety meetings and pre-test plan meetings is I work safe because I love I'm passionate about what I do, but at the same time, it's still a job. And but that job is you earn an income to, you know, pay the bills and provide. And I have loved ones in my life that care about me and they, they expect me to come home in the, the way that I went. Um, that's I, I have things that I enjoy doing outside of work, uh, whether it's hiking or working out or trail running or uh, lifting weights, whatever the case may be, is if, you know, if, if I didn't have that in my life, those are big passions and loves of mine outside of work. And yeah. if I made a decision where the consequences were that I wouldn't be able to enjoy that life outside of work, man, that, that'd make for a tough life. For yeah. Sure. I, I think you're a really great example of maximizing work-life balance. You know, I, I from the stories you tell me everything here, you're, you're taking advantage of every minute of your day. So that's really cool to see. Yeah. It's a, it takes a lot out of you sometimes, but, oh, sure. but it's enjoyable. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's get into uh, some some recent incidents. Anything you want to highlight? I think rather than highlight any specific incident, I think what I need to do is just kind of talk about some recent equipment damage, just kind of wrap them all up. And if you look at many of our incidents, there's some patterns and trends that start showing up. And, and if I even go back years, what I see on a lot of our equipment damage, it has to boil down to three different things as it pertains to equipment damage. Last month, we had two incidents where we had equipment damage when people ran into something, whether they were, you know, backing a piece of equipment and they backed into something or 
they tried squeezing in between a piece of equipment and um, they just clipped the other piece of equipment nearby. And I, I, I kind of see that and it goes back to, it's kind of operation 101. You know, I'm not a equipment operator and I never will ever claim to know more than what these professional operators, I mean, they're pretty impressive the things they can do. They but, are, yeah. And, and sometimes with that massive knowledge, you have a tendency of overlooking the, the really elementary or the really basic 101 fundamentals because you have so much experience and so much. It, it's easy. I guess you call it complacency, if you will. Complacency is, you know, one of the biggest factors of any incident that we have here. So, so I think the first thing is, is just going back to just grassroots on equipment operation is planning your route mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, taking the time we, we really preach not only a pre-task plan discussion, but walk in your work area before you start. And so anytime we're moving equipment or maybe we're picking up a trench box or carrying a still sheet, or even just traveling down a path, we need to put our eyes on that path and say, what are the obstructions or the obstacles that we got to face? How tight is the area? Is, are there other trades working in that area? Uh, is there overhead restrictions? Um, what's the ground conditions like? I think all that's super, super important. And many of our incidents, our equipment damage and property damage in a sense kind of tie into that piece is just taking that few seconds to walk it out and evaluate it before you travel. The second thing that I see kind of tied in with some of these incidents is uh, another basic, which is load securement. We need to make sure that if we are traveling with something, basic 101 rule for, you know, I, I know like forklift or whether you're using a loader with the forks or just a traditional style forklift is securing your load. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a 101, but if we get in a hurry or we just lose track of that, you know, we've had a steel sheet fall off a, a loader fork and, you know, there was a icy condition. So the steel sheet had some ice on it and, mm -hmm. and, uh, slips off the forks and it lands in a work area, but luckily nobody was working at the time. And I, I, I see that a lot. We had an incident last month also where we had another object fall off of uh, a loader while it was trying to be moved around. Yeah. And uh, that one came in the same thing that I'm talking about here as far as planning your route out and looking at obstacles. So there was a spreader in the way and the, the guy on the loader ran over the spreader and it smashed a fence. Yeah. You know, I think the, the one thing that we need to really focus on as it pertains to that is like, it's not just a fence or it's not just a, a candlestick or it's not just the tongue on a compressor that could have been a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, that's the responsibility of every operator is to kind of view it in that way. We need to take every incident as serious as it, it could have been somebody's life at stake because it very easily could have been. Yeah. Uh, the way I see it, there's some luck in that involved. And so securing that load, super, super important. And then once you're evaluating, you're, you plan your route to travel, you're evaluating your work area, you got that load secured on there is when you do get into that really tight spot or that really congested spot or high traffic area so many times due to, I got to just hurry up and get this done. I can, I can make this, I can squeeze in between this. It's just a matter of stopping, taking time to, you know, reach out to the person that's standing closest to them and say, Hey, can you, can you help spot me? I don't know how much clearance I got on this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I think if we did those three things, I think a big chunk of our incidents, our, our equipment damage and property damage incidents could be avoided if we just take time to do those three simple things. Yeah. Yeah. I, de I definitely think the, the little mistakes, you know, they can snowball, they can get bigger and maybe you spend a minute to help somebody back up their truck or spot them. If that could save hours 
of property damage report mm-hmm. or you know damage to permanent material that you got to replace i think that's a really good point and again going back to that is like whether it's a bollard you're back into or you know somebody else's car i mean it, it could have been somebody walking through that parking lot or uh, you know walking through that job site yeah it's uh you know we, we need to view it all as that what Just, tips do you have for superintendents to help remind their teams to stay aware day to day the most valuable piece is it's the two-part piece it's it's what makes our safety program what it is is a good discussion at the pre-test plan i mean that pre-test plan meeting is one of the the base fundamentals of our safety program is discussing what we're doing what are the tasks we're doing for the day and you know what are the hazards or what could go wrong what's in our way what's our what's our challenges we're facing and so these pre-test plan meetings aren't just a safety meeting they're they're a production meeting, they're a quality meeting, and then there's the safety component. So I think having those good discussions, as soon as we hop out of our vehicles at the start of the day, having that good game plan. This is what we got to get accomplished today. Here's the stuff that's going to be in our way to being successful. And here's what we're going to do about it to be successful. Mm-hmm. And then I think the pre-test planning on top of the thorough pre-test walk, because sometimes if we're having a pre-test plan discussion, at a job trailer, we can't see the work area from where you're at. Or maybe you're working on 10, 15 acres. You can't see everything. So getting your boots on the ground and walking as a group, as a crew in that area, just like I was talking about with the loader incident, just walking the work area out and, oh, there's other trades in here. They got pallets of material in our way. How, how are we going to get around this? Or there's a big stockpile of material here. How are we going to get our pipe through here with this stockpile of material here? So I think there's some major, major value we got to keep taking seriously is those uh, pre-test walks. Yeah. And, and, you know, let's say you come back from lunch and there's a, a new concrete bucket blocking your path, right? Or whatever, you know, the pre-test shouldn't just be done in the morning, right? We should always be evaluating our work. And so what would you say, you know, what would you recommend for, you know, an operator goes out and his path changes? What, what should he do? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I, I, being a safety guy, I, I love that kind of question because, you know, how often do you think uh, a task goes completely according to plan? I mean, do you, what, what, what percentage do you think, Riley? I, I don't think any task goes per plan. I, I think something changes on a regular basis, probably. So at seven o'clock in the morning, if we do our pre-task plan and we identify the steps to complete the task and the hazards or challenges or, uh, and then what we're doing about it, well, if very few tasks ever go true according to plan, then yeah, it's just that, that it's really tough to do. It's a tough thing to stop right in the middle of something and evaluate, reevaluate the situation and come together and Say, all right, we didn't anticipate this challenge or this hazard. Well, we got to stop and let's let's have a quick two-minute discussion on, all right, well, how are we going to get around this? Yeah, the afternoon talk. Yeah, it, it could be afternoon. It could be a 10 o'clock talk. And if you do look at all of our incidences, many of our incidents are a product of just that. When, when things don't go according to plan, it's how we react to that change. That's a great, great question there. And it, it's okay to change your plan. You know, yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's important to know. A lot of times you get in this mindset of, oh, I made a plan. I'm going to stick to that plan. Well, it's okay to change a plan. Oh, totally. Yeah. Life throws curveballs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh, talk about some uh, observations, uh, some observations you had uh, in the field the other day. Being out in the field hundred percent of the time, pretty much. Uh, I, I see a lot of things. I see a lot of great things, by the way, but kind of this observation that I'm going to talk about today 
is it just something that ties back to what I was talking about when Kelsey asked what percentage of the people that I know by name and and this kind of made me realize like at one time we had a major major focus on this piece but now we have a lot of new people and a lot of new supervisors and I took this observation as an opportunity to you know share it with all the other supervisors saying hey this is the way because we do operate unique we're pretty unique in our approach to trenches and excavations and uh, I uh, showed up at the job site uh, three days ago and walk out. Our activities are looking great. We're doing the right thing. And we're digging a uh, elevator pit excavation. So it's a, it's a bench, neat cut footing. I guess some of the people listen to this, it's, it should be common knowledge for Northwest to operate this way that we're basically viewing all soil as, as sea soil, which means it's the least cohesive, the least stable soil. There are rules about, oh yeah, you need to characterize your soil on a daily basis. Well, due to some conversations early in my career at Northwest from upper management and something I teach in training classes, like in Western Washington, it's almost impossible to view any soil that we excavate as sea soil due to rainwater, uh, groundwater, uh, vibration, uh, sometimes freezing and thawing, existing utilities and previously disturbed material. You could have the hardest material in the world, but if any of those items are a factor in that particular trench we all automatically have to downgrade it to a c so this case the soil looked super hard but it did have like glacial gravels mixed in with this hard soil while the the benching of this thing looked picture perfect and just absolutely beautiful i see those gravels in there which is automatic again going hmm. you know how can you do a thumb penetration test on a rock to get your beak soil and I'm like, no, it's not. You got layered material that automatically downsgrades it to a C, which we need to operate as. So if we go outside the rules, so when you have a, a C soil, you have three options. You can slope it from toe to top at a one and a half to one height base ratio, or you can throw a, a trench box in that trench, uh, or you can throw some shoring in there. And those, because you cannot bench C soil at any time. And so those are really three options you have, but there is a fourth option. And uh, this fourth option is something that is it, it's clear as day and the stand in the Washington state standard and the federal standard. I just don't know why people don't really make it a bigger deal than what it is. But you see time and time again, almost every footing that we dig is a neat cut footing because it makes it easier for the concrete guys to come in and sure, build yeah. their forms and pour. But that fourth rule is, is if that contractor needs that neat cut footing. That means that we're going outside this sloping. You can't put a trench box in there. You can't put shoring in there. If we have to go outside the one and a half to one, you know, we're being directed by somebody to go outside that one and a half to one. The fourth option and the rules is, is it's gotta be designed by a registered professional engineer. So that bench has to be a engineered bench. Mm -hmm. So I asked the question to the, the foreman on site and. I was like, hey, you know, we have paperwork on this, right, from the engineer. And, and he kind of paused a little bit. And I was like, okay. You know, and that's when I kind of checked myself. I'm like, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of new people. So I, I guess to tie this observation in is like just for everybody to be on the same page and aware of the process is if we have to dig a neat cut footing, it's super important that neat cut, that bench is designed by a registered professional engineer. And it's designed with the safety and health of everybody, whether it's a rod buster 
or whether it's a concrete guy or a, you know, a concrete laborer or one of our folks in there, it has to be designed with safety and health in mind. So those are the basic rules. And, you know, something that when we do get into that situation, we got to have that documentation. That documentation has got to be on site. And the person that creates that needs to have either themselves or a designee present. So they're almost acting as a competent person, uh, making sure that it's being excavated as designed. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's they're looking for anything like signs of collapse or signs of failure or other hazard-increasing events. And so there's, there's some pretty specific rules on that. And these in, the engineer, it can it can be the geotech that's already hired for the job, right? They have licensed engineers that are coming out, out on a daily basis to check subgrade. Uh, you know, it's not something that we have to go out and buy ourselves. No, and that's uh, it is the general contractor's responsibility. That's usually not in our contract to uh, characterize soil for any situation, you know. Right. And uh, that's going to fall on the general contractor's piece. I'll never forget we had a whole mess of footings on a job site and they were, you know, five foot footings and there was tons of them. And, and the guys were like, Joe, how are we allowed to do this? And, and so we had some pretty, I had to do some education with the, the, the team out there and, and I had to actually educate the general contractor. I got pulled into a meeting where there's 30, 40 people in there and I had to give them an education on this rule and they had no idea. And, uh, but then I also told our crew, I said, just because we're following this engineer design for this, the key thing takeaway to this is if you don't feel comfortable, even after it's been excavated as designed, if you don't feel comfortable, you need to speak up and say something. Nobody's going to force you to do anything that you feel uncomfortable doing. So that's kind of my main observation. Yeah. And in, in outside of, of conversations with you, where, where else is good resources to, to learn about? Um, safety and, and, you know, soil classification, stuff like that. You know, there's a broad range. I mean, you can, you know, the thing about the internet is you can find just about anything. I mean, heck, you can even get on YouTube and Google trenching excavation safety. And there's some, you know, great resources on there, but just a Google search. I mean, you got uh, federal OSHA, you got the the different state OSHA departments, mm-hmm. you know, a department of occupational safety and health, or as most people know it as a department of labor and industries, you know, they have uh, some great resources. Elkosh, which is a division of NIOSH, um, it's a, the construction branch of the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. They have some great resources on uh, trenching excavation safety as well. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, uh, any, any final thoughts for your, uh, your, your, week's, your monthly podcast here? Anybody that knows me, um, anybody that knows me knows that I always have final thoughts and I always have something to, that's on my heart. And, um, as you guys know, I, I do speak from my heart a lot of times and, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've been in safety and, you know, I've seen a lot of things and I've seen things that affect my life, uh, because I've seen how an injury or an incident can really affect not only the person that got injured's life, but their whole family. So I always have something and, you know, this whole uh, safety culture piece is something that's always on my mind. And here lately it's, it's really been what we're about at Northwest Construction. And I know, Riley, you and I were talking yesterday about, you know, as far as if we were to brand our safety program, what it would be about. And, you know, I'm thinking a lot about that. I, I've been thinking a lot about that. I brought it up to the safety committee's attention this morning. And I also had a speech that I gave to a general contractor a couple of weeks ago. And 
part of that speech was, what, what is Northwest Construction's culture? I started off by saying, we lead the charge on safety. I, I want us being the safest contractor on that job site. Yeah. We're the first one in on a job in most situations. And I want us to come in just getting after it, really setting that example, us doing the right Set thing. Set the tone, yeah. Doing the right thing for the, when, even when no one's looking. We're doing the right thing. We're setting the tone. Safety's contagious. I mean, so many people listening on here can remember an unsafe job. And you can remember how the, the housekeeping or the morale or uh, just the allowed unsafe acts and conditions to go on, how that can truly says, well, if they don't have to do it, why do I got to do it? And so safety works the other way too, where if you got our guys, we're out stretching, flexing in the morning, we're discussing our work and we're working in a safe manner. We're wearing our PPE that has, it has rubbed off on other people. But that's what I told this, this contractor is like, this is not what we want to do. This is the way we roll. And, and I can truly say that on every job we're on, we are leading the charge on safety. Uh, we don't walk past the safety issue, whether it's ours or not. If we see something, we say something. And, yeah, and, and if somebody's listening that, that didn't know that, well, hopefully uh, you really grasp that now because that's a, what makes us so great. And I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm proud of who I work for. I'm proud of our company. I'm proud of our culture. I'm proud of our commitment to safety. And it's not like a bunch of safety slogans saying, hey, at Northwest Construction, safety is number one or safety first. And it kind of goes back to a general contractor safety meeting that I witnessed a couple weeks ago where the superintendent stood up on this podium for the general contractor and he looked down at all of us, literally, literally was looking down at us going, be safe. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> and I asked our crew that I'm like, what does be safe mean? Yeah. It's kind of like writing that on your pre-test plan saying, Hey, we got cave in hazards and struck by hazards and, and, uh, slip trips and falls. What are we going to do about it? Be safe. Oh yeah. Be safe. And so we had a good discussion about what does being safe mean? Yeah. And uh, so I think that's what makes our program great. And every single person, no matter how long you've been in this business or how long you've been from Northwest, you're a safety person. And whether it's speaking up when you have a concern or a question about what you're doing, or if you see somebody else doing something unsafe, it could be a framer. It could be a drywall guy. It could be a roofer. It, it could be anybody. Just remember that if you walk by that, and something happens to that person, man, that's going to really be eating on you for a while. And you got to live with that. And you yeah. could have, you could have done something to make a difference. I, I'm going to wrap it up, but that's just kind of my, my thoughts at the current moment right now. I'm, I'm really on this trying to figure out, you know, we're, we're, we're really good now. We had a great year last year and I'm excited about this year, but the whole culture piece is like, how are we going to, those people that I don't know their names, Kelsey, mm -hmm. how do I get those people to understand that we're not just a bunch of talk? that we practice what we preach. So that's what I got this morning. I'm, I'm inspired. Okay. Yeah, I, I loved you're, that. Yeah, you were, I want to go out and, and check my jobs and, and, and make sure everyone's safe. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think our listeners will really appreciate that. Awesome. Uh, Kelsey, you got any, any uh, final questions for Joe? No, I'm with Riley. I feel inspired. Yeah. I love it. Well, thanks for having me on. And you said this is a regular thing now, right? I, I, I think this is a regular thing. I, you know, I think, uh, uh, a monthly inspiration from Joe is what the, I think is what the listeners want to hear. I can get so. into that. That's fun. That's so a lot of fun. Have you thought of a brand for Northwest safety? You know, we had a really good discussion about that at two different meetings this morning. And 
I, I think I got some people at least thinking on it too. It's it's going to be a. It's just not my decision. Just like safety is just not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. One person can't create a safety culture in a company or make a company safe. It takes every one of us. So I, I think when it comes to do we want a brand? Do we want to? It, whether it's a, a logo or whatever it is, like I said, the slogan thing, I, I have my issues on the slogans. Because most of the time you see people with slogans all over their fences. You look at that slogan going, hey, we're the best at this company. And then you look to their left and there's like uh, nails sticking out of boards and big piles of trash and, and tripping hazards. And it, it just kind of like, you know, talks cheap. So I, if we do something... I want that brand to be powerful and I, I want somebody to be able to, I guess, wear that logo, if you will, and be proud of it and be proud to be part of that team. Well, you'll have to come back if you think of something. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you guys updates as we go. But this is this uh, topic just started yesterday, you know, this was so this still pretty fresh. Yeah. But, yeah. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right. Appreciate it.